Welcome to Gravetop Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. And today we're continuing our series about unexpected gifts. And this whole month, we've been talking about these um, certain issues in life that we go through that end up having this intrinsic value that benefit our faith and benefit our souls. And they end up being these unexpected things. We talked about uh, first about how servanthood ends up br- uh, finding our purpose in life. Then last week we talked about how sacrifice uh, ends up revealing uh, a deeper level of uh, intention for our purpose. And today specifically we're going to look at pain. Pain. And there's not any pretty way I could put pain on the screen and so I just uh, spelled it out like that. Pain. And <laughs> and the while we naturally... I think that we as people naturally avoid any type of pain altogether. It is one of the best teachers to humanity in almost every form. It's almost like God's redemptive quality is intertwined with our DNA when it comes to this idea of using pain for growth. And at the same time that this is intrinsic within us, our brains are still hardwired to initially look at pain as bad. And today we're going to examine this topic of pain by categorizing and expounding on three types of pain. We're going to talk about the moments of how unfair the unique pains are that we individually experience. We're going to unpack the pain that comes from the process of healing. And we're at the end, we're going to talk about the pain that's used for a purpose. And the reason that this topic is so important to talk about is because pain is unavoidable. And uh, it makes me think about like uh, our children and me and Lauren are, I'm going to just say we're, we're totally helicopter parents uh, to the best that we can. We have to constantly talk ourselves out of not interfering with like them just having fun. And as much as we try to protect them from getting hurt, it is inevitable. <laughs> they will get hurt. Like even if we're right there standing in front of them with our arms out, like they, they, they get hurt no matter what. And I think that in life, that pain is often unavoidable in that sense. And uh, so many so many times we get, even though we know that it's unavoidable, we still typically get surprised when we're faced with that pain in our lives. It always feels surprising. It always feels unexpected. And so many people feel like they're being picked on by God while, while going through these different pains, while in actuality, God is one helping us to endure through those pains. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And when we focus on the power and potential of God to redeem that pain, we can find strength to overcome these kinds of struggles. And I want to just kind of blast out some some scripture verses uh, in reference to pain. And I'm going to just kind of give us give these verses as a foundation to what we talk about today. Um, first is Ecclesiastes seven three through four. Sorrow is a better Sorrow is better than laughter, for when, we fa- when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, while the mind of fools in the, is in the house of pleasure. This verse is pretty much saying that while pleasure may feel good in the moment, it teaches us nothing. But in the moments of pain, we realize uh, life's biggest lessons. We're able to find uh, um, the most meaningful things in life in the times that we're experiencing pain or sadness or even mourning. Um, in Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
It's like the perfect verse to work out to, right? You're experiencing all this pain doing, doing the bench press, doing your squat, going on that run, and that pain is not comparable to the glory of, of Jake's physique after the workout, right? <laughs> Romans 5, 3-4, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And so Paul's literally giving this breakdown of how even though we start with problems and trials and these painful things, those pains are what are used to develop endurance in us. And it takes it all the way, these steps that goes about to giving us a stronger hope in our salvation, stronger confidence in what we believe in. And just to sidestep for a moment, I feel like even when it comes to starting this church, some of the most um, problematic and painful experiences that, that we have faced as a church or that I have faced end up being the, the very things that help strengthen my confidence in who I am and who I put my hope into. And it's through those painful trials that we, I, I feel like even for myself, I've developed such a, a stronger identity in Christ when I go through this process of endurance like Paul gives here. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Again, I'm, I'm trying to give us a continual scripture that, that amplifies how pain is useful. It's this unexpected gift in our lives. It goes on to say, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees and mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. See, what's, what's so powerful about this last verse I wanted to share is that it gives this connotation that he, he's trying to encourage those who are feeling like giving up from all the pain. And he's saying, even though you are tired, get a grip. Even though you, you feel weak to stand, strengthen your knees so that you can go through this. Because not only is it for you that this path is being made out, but for those others who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. That you are helping others in your endurance to be inspired, to move along. And it shows the, this incredible potential to stand even in, and endure even in the midst of pain. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So now with all of that as is foundational for us to, to understand this biblical idea of pain, I want to now break up three different ideas that I think are unique when it comes to three types of pain using the story of Joseph. Joseph is a really popular character of the Bible. It's where he's most known for having a colorful robe and being betrayed by his brothers and inevitably uh, becoming um, second best to Pharaoh when it, uh, in interpreting dreams and being the highest place of power at at a time during uh, harvest and famine. And uh, I want us to understand that we're going to kind of pick apart different pieces of his life. And I want us to identify our own uh, types of pains with his story and relate so that we can grab some lessons from them. Um, the first thing I want us to uh, type of pain is unfair pain. Unfair pain. God knows when something is harder for you than it is for others. I think what, one of the most beautiful aspects about God is the fact that he holds the nature of understanding. He holds the nature of understanding, meaning that he knows how things work and he knows how things function. He also knows why certain things are the way that they are. 
I, I do not know why gravity works. And as much as many theories there, uh, uh, solid theories there are about gravity, scientists have no proof of why gravity is so. There's a, a, this thing that we all experience perpetually in our life, gravity, and we do not really understand it. Consider that God understands why gravity is what it is. He understands the, the very nature of things. And if he understands gravity to such extent, it also means that he knows you to the core of your personhood and your identity. He knows every part about you and he knows why you feel the way you feel. God knows why I have such a good sense of humor. I don't even really know why I'm so funny, but God knows why. And to know that he knows when things are genuinely unfair for you. I think that's a part that is so unique about the idea of our creator is that he knows when something is harder for you than it is for somebody else. And even though people close to us can empathize with us, they can feel compassion to us, and they can try to understand. Have you ever had a moment where you're, you're going through something and you had someone near to your heart that, that they, were, they were there for you, but there's still a part of you that, that felt like you weren't fully understood even as you're going through it, even though they were supporting you and everything, you still that had that part that wasn't fully understood. To consider that the creator of the universe, the way that he describes himself through scripture is that he chooses to know how you work. To think that the Bible says itself that God knows how many hairs are on top of your head. It's an incredibly unnecessary detail to know. Okay? I mean, he cares about how good my hair looks today. <laughs> like, that, that's in a sense that he cares about every detail of your life. If he cares about something as unnecessary as your hair, then he cares about the, the details of your struggle. He, dare, he cares about uh, when you endure. He cares about the pain you're going through. And he knows when something is unfair looking at the life of Joseph to just pull some moments out of his life in Genesis 37, 23 through 24 says, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And then they, then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. And now that cistern that he was in was empty and there was no water into it. In this moment where Joseph's brothers betrayed him, that first they were talking about killing him. And then they subsided and said, well, let's just sell him into slavery. And this is a moment in which it is completely unfair for Joseph. He didn't do anything to deserve this kind of treatment. And to, to what I feel like resonates with us is that this is a childhood moment. This is a childhood moment for him. He's a teenager at this point, but that's still adolescence. And to consider in this moment that Joseph is having this unfair treatment, I want you to, to consider any of the moments in your own childhood, in your own life, that felt genuinely unfair. To know that, the, that those things are, the feelings of feeling unfair are in a sense justified. It, I think it's meaningful to think about that. Because when you feel like it doesn't make sense and you don't understand why something bad is happening to you, it can feel confusing when you hear things like everything happens for a reason. And it can make you feel like God is just picking on you. And you, you start to question, why me? This is unfair. But what, what this is showing us and what Scripture shows is that God does not tempt any person to sin. In this moment, his brothers are sinning against him. 
they are treating him wrongly. And the Bible says God doesn't tempt any man to sin. So this is out of this is not God's plan. This is not God's will. We know later that that God uses this moment to bring about goodness in Joseph's life where it seemed like it was all for a reason. But to consider that that does not mean God intended everything bad to happen to Joseph, but that God's redemption is so powerful that he can take even something that had completely wrong motives, an attack against someone unfairly, and turn it around for good. And when I think about those childhood things, it's really interesting when we think about uh, psychological trauma and how much of the, the, the things that we go through as adults stem all the way back to our childhood. And there's so many studies now about how it's like this inner child inside of you. And uh, it's like you have to talk to that inner child. And depending on like your outlook on some of those different practices, it could be either really healing or really weird. But it, it's this idea that everything stems from these unfair experiences you have as a kid and that they affect your nature now. It, it, in the moments where I realized that the the times that I was neglected, extremely neglected as a child, it it affects me with my relationships today to where I I have this natural tendency to push people away because I'm afraid of that rejection that I faced as a kid. Isn't that crazy that it just follows you like this zombie that just won't die? It just keeps, it just keeps waiting to bite you again. And to know that there's, this is this kind of moment for Joseph and look at this. It, now he grows up, moves on. You know what? I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna uh, uh, clench my fists and move on. I'm gonna make it in the world. And even as he's sold as a slave, he does his very best and, and shines and becomes promoted. And then it says this in this story. Later on, it says Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. In this part of the story, Joseph was falsely accused of attempting to rape Potiphar's wife, his boss's wife, when that was in in fact not the case whatsoever. She uh, made moves on him consistently and he, all the way to the point where she grabbed him by his robe and he ran out of the house naked so that he wouldn't sin against in in the home. And I mean, I get that'll be like, kind of like, it's kind of like a diss, you know, like someone literally running away from you naked just so that they don't uh, have sex with you. I'm sure she felt pretty offended by it, but in that moment, he's unfairly accused. That's one thing. It's one thing to be unfairly accused, but it's another level to be unfairly punished. We, we, I think that a lot of people get accused of things that's not fair, but it's another level when you get punished for it as well. And for Joseph, this is the part where he's consistently facing these situations that are painful and undeserved to do his best, but to get the worst treatment for it. And as he faced betrayal from the people closest to him and injustices from the people he was loyal to, he endured the ruthlessness of this world. And I think that that's what Joseph's story really displays is how much of this world is full of chaos and ruthlessness. And it is unfair, some of the treatment that we endure but while we don't get this in-depth look into his, his emotional state, we don't get a really explanation of his morale through it all during these trials, 
I think that we can do our best to connect these kinds of dots and imagine how incredibly painful these experiences were for him. It, the Bible just says, and then he was thrown into prison, and uh, eventually he became, uh, uh, gained favor with the prison guard. It doesn't talk about how Joseph's really feeling through it all. You know what I'm saying? Just imagine what he's actually feeling and imagine the discouragement that he's experiencing through these trials. Imagining how much his faith feels tested as he's wondering, why the hell is all of this happening to me? I, I don't get why this is happening to me. It, it, it seems like everybody else has a seemingly normal life. Why is my life set out on being crushed? And it just seems completely unfair. And I think similarly, when we face things in this life that are truly undeserved and fair, God sees these things and He understands that you are going through this, this stuff and that and he understands it in a way that nobody else could. And I really believe that when we put our hope in God, that through these trials, he's able to turn what is unfair into what could be seen as favorable. And for Joseph, he's, this is what he's most known for is at the end. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house. And uh, all my people shall be obedient to you. Only regarding the throne will I be greater th than you. In this moment, oh, don't peek at that. In, in this moment, that that Joseph is given this full authority, it seems like he just has the favor of God upon him. I think about what has built him to this point, because all of the things that were unfair for him. And now, at, the, at the, the peak of his life, it seems like he's special. Seems like he's special at this moment to others. Think about how no one, uh, all the people that don't know the in-depths of the trials that he faced. Most, most these people don't even know how he got there in the first place. They don't know how he was betrayed by his own brothers. They only see this kind of like random rising star that becomes in charge of everything. And... I'm sure that in this moment, there's probably hundreds and thousands of people in Egypt that, that thought Joseph was just special. That, that, that they thought Joseph just had this special, unique favor on his life. When we get the full picture about how everything in his life seemed unfair up to this point. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And what we see in this verse, in this, in this story, is a lot of the fulfilling of the verses that we read at the beginning all of the pain and suffering that joseph was enduring built his character stronger to where by the time he faced pharaoh he has he, he doesn't even care what really happens to him consider that that he goes to pharaoh and pharaoh says interpret this dream and think about how how anxious you would feel in that moment that like in those times if Pharaoh did not like what he had to say, he could just have him killed instantly. And we see that in other stories, like with in, in, uh, when Israel was exiled later, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel and his friends uh, were among his, his group, and Nebuchadnezzar asked some of the wise men to interpret a dream, and they said, well, we don't know the interpretation. And he was like, okay, well, all of y'all are going to be killed then. What good are you for? And so think about Joseph, 
who has this immense pressure standing in front of Pharaoh, and everything is riding on, his, his freedom is right in front of him, and being so anxious about, worried about saying the right exact thing. And consider this, that it is well known that the Egyptians worship completely different gods than what Joseph worships. Talking about the, the sun god Ra and all these other, all these other paganistic gods. And Joseph worships this holy god that says, you know what, guys? These orgies got to stop. <laughs> That's Joseph's god. All the other gods are like, hey! <laughs> and Joseph's like, well, actually, guys, my God said that we need to live a, a different kind of life. It's called holiness. It means to be separated from this world. We should not just indulge in every pleasure we can. No wonder all these, all these different people were martyred, right? <laughs> they just kill this guy. So he is now going in front of the most powerful person. Everything has been unfair up to this point. He didn't even do anything wrong before, and he got punished for it. Imagine every anxious thought th trying to, that could come into his mind thinking, man, if you got so messed up from doing it the right way before, if you mess this up, it's like you're going to be tortured to death. It, anything, everything wrong has happened before. In this moment, everything even worse could happen. And Joseph, in his dialogue to Pharaoh, says, I cannot interpret the dream for you, but my God can. And I think we get a glimpse like how easily people can be offended in our world today. Like we get a little glimpse of it, how easy it is. In this moment that he says that, that could have been the most offensive and uh, uh, offensive statement for him to make to Pharaoh saying, your gods won't help you at all, but my God can. And then he, he dispositions himself and saying, oh, I can't do anything. I'm not special, but God can tell you something. I think it speaks so much volume to what everything that he went through strengthened his character so much where at this point is like, what do I got to lose? <laughs> and he does what he believed was right. Not because of what he, what he was concerned about the outcome, but because he was just in that present moment. All of the pain that he went through gave him such an astounding character to be up, able to uphold this kind of position he was walking into. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Doesn't mean any of it was fair, but God was able to redeem those unfair moments into favor for his life. Now, let's look at this next type of pain, which is the pain of healing. Healing from pain can often feel more agonizing than the pain itself. You know, when I was a, a teenager, I had a group of friends that we believed we were going to be brothers for life. And we believed so much so that when we would sleep outside, we would sleep outside together. When we needed food, we would steal food together. We, like we, we had this, this pact as we were on the street. And we believed so much so that we were in it to win it for life, that we were like blood brothers, that we, developed, we, we created this symbol of a circle that would be the mark of each other's bond. And we fashioned that circle into a cattle prod, heated it up red hot, and branded each of each other on the chest with this cattle prod. And I got to tell you that in the moment, it was, one, it was excruciatingly painful for that moment. But it's like, it's like one and done. It's like, Argh! and we had like towel in our mouth to grit our teeth and stuff. It was really painful. But then it was like, oh, like you do it and like, hell, hell yeah. We're just, we're just like, we're all pumped. Like, oh man, it doesn't even hurt now. Let me tell you. Third degree burn, the worst part about it is the healing process. Because, I, I, again, 
I was not very, I was not an expert when it came to medicine or bandages or what, what gauze was. I didn't know that. And so I quickly learned that my shirt would stick to this oozing scab. No, I did not put a band-aid on it. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I just thought I could just, you know, rough it out. And my, when I would take off my shirt, it would peel off the scab. When I would just move my arm like this, I realized that my chest muscle was connected to every part of my arm, and it would rip slightly. It was like, oh my God, I can't move. It was like the most, the most painful part about it was the healing process. And I don't know how long it took to heal. I, I, I just don't know numerically how many days, but it felt like forever. And the moment of, the pain hurt really bad, but I, I would rather just do that again and feel that, all, that whole five-second experience again, one time, than experience the weeks and months that it took to actually heal. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, apply it to our lives physical, spiritual, emotional, for some reason or another, we view the concept of healing as being similar to that of peace. But in the reality is that sometimes the process of healing can be more painful than that of the original pain. And healing from wounds is necessary in order to have freedom of mobility in your life again. But it's easy to settle in that state of emotional handicap rather than enduring the pain that, that comes from putting pressure on that wound. I think that it's like that those, those moments of dealing with those unfair experiences, actually finding healing and processing those emotional boo-boos in our life, it freaking sucks. And for Joseph, after he is put in place of power, he, everything that he could ever imagine was given to him in this moment where his life finally turns around after this brutal life of unfair treatment, he now is at the top of his game. And consider that if everything that you ever dreamed of were to happen for you, I think that most of us would imagine that we wouldn't even care about the things of our past. As long as we, if we were to be able to walk in our dreams, like none of this, none of it matters. As long as I'm where I'm at, where I believe I'm supposed to be, and we would think that we'd just be able to just drop it off at the curb. Like, it's all worth it. we just feel cool about it. For Joseph, what this experience was like for him. It says, Genesis 42, 24, every time that he saw his brothers, he has this kind of experience. And they did not recognize him when they came to ask Egyptians for food, but Joseph recognized them right away. It says, now he turned away from them and began to weep. And when he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. And then he chose Simon from among them and had him tied up right there before his eyes. And then another passage says, Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. And then he ordered, bring out the food. And then... Again, it says, then Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone standing before him. And he shouted, have everyone leave me. So there was no one with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And then he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his, his brothers could not answer him for they were terrified of his presence. 
And, and then it says, finally, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Every, every moment that he sees his brothers, he's completely overwhelmed by emotion. He's overcome with every time the wound from his past, past has any pressure on it, he completely breaks down. Talking about being second to Pharaoh in the most prosperous land in the world at the time, has everything, anything he could ever possibly want, servants would bring it to him immediately. It, he has no lack in his life. Everything is made for him. And yet, the sight of his pain from his past brings him to overwhelming tears. And even as Joseph is going through this, the sight of his trauma took him right back to that inner child who was wrongfully abused. And while he was able to overcome his past, he still hadn't healed from pain of his past. And as much as he tried to hide it and keep it under control, he was not able to really be free or move on until he was willing to start this process of healing. And I think that, I, I, I realize that I used to think, I think that's so, something so much easier said than done. It, I remember for early years in ministry, I, it's like easy to repeat what you hear. You know, it's easy to repeat th these common ideas and sayings and say things like, well, you know, you got to just, you have to learn how to process your healing. You need to process your emotions and you have to face your past and you can't bottle it down. You can't press it down. And the more that I like went through life, the more like I remember the first time I ever like tapped off those painful moments of my past was was a big one. It was when I was molested when I was fourteen, and I remember I didn't tell anyone about it for years. And the first time I ever said it, the only thing I ever said about it was the day after I was walking my friend to the next via bus stop, and I said, "If I ever see that guy again, I'm going to kill him." And he said, "Why?" I said, don't worry about it. I, didn't to, I was like, I, I shouldn't have said anything. I don't want to dig up any, any more questions. And then I just pressed it down for years. And the only other time, that I, the first time I ever talked about it again was when I was married to my wife at 21. And it was the first time I ever talked about it again. And I just broke down crying. And I felt so mad that I felt so emotional about it. And it felt like just this weird mix of emotions, you know? And... I thought, in the moment, maybe this is what I need to do. Because th that, that incident, among others in my childhood, produced all this rage in me, you know, all this, all this different reactions in my life. And I thought, well, maybe this is what I need to do. And after I did that, and I thought, maybe that was it. Now, now I can be healed and it's closed. Like, this, this has been out from under the rug and I can move on with my life. For the next... A uh, year, two years, months and months and months, I, I developed this anxiety in what is now commonly uh, referenced as being triggered. And I would get this triggered, you know, like, I, I kind of hate that word because it's, you, like, I feel like usually the people that use that word are people that never experience trauma. <laughs> it's like, I'm just really triggered right now. Like, from what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, and And so... I remember moments where, like, uh, I would go to this uh, for our, our other church. We, it's like we had to do this 
this ins- the insurance wanted us to go through uh, child safety, right? It's a child safety class, and we had to go into how to protect kids from uh, from harassment, sexual harassment, things like that. And I'm I'm a front row rider. I I always sit in the front row, just like Jake. And I and as I'm in the front row, and it's talking about these like uh, case issues, I started getting so triggered to where I'm having like a full out anxiety attack in the front row. And I'm like talking about shaking. Like I, I am like, like literally having a panic attack like in my head saying, stop it, stop it. And I'm, I'm having this full breakdown and I, I literally hate what is going on. And I have to go through all these moments of, of feeling anxious, unsettled, messed up internally. And I remember specifically thinking to myself, I should have never said anything. I should have just kept it bottled down and held it there and just never mention it again until I die. Like, just let's never address it because this freaking sucks. But when I, even though that the healing, the pain of the healing was substantial, when I was, because I was able to process that painful, those painful moments, because I was able to, to go through this process of healing, that pain doesn't have a hold on me anymore. My, my life is not controlled by the pain of my past. I can choose how I want to behave. I can choose what kind of person I want to be. I don't have to uh, base everything off of a childhood pain. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I remember the first moment in when I actually started feeling healing and closure from, from that specific incident. And the first time I actually shared it from like a ministry point, And I shared that it is like youth walk-in. Like a hundred kids there is the first time I ever openly shared it. And at the end of the message, did an altar call, and dozens of kids came into the front. When I went to go pray for some of them, I heard time and time again, I thought I was the only one. I never thought I could be healed from this. I never thought I'd be able to find closure. And I was able to see something so painful in my life, but because I chose to endure the pain of healing from it, I was able to see that healing in other people's lives too. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, let's talk about one last pain. One last pain, and that is the pain for purpose. God can redeem any pain into a meaningful purpose. And with this perspective, see, with the perspective of experience, we are able to see nearly every pain that we face as something that was able to help us grow as individuals. We look back at our past, and we, we see how it makes us who we are today. It's like that common saying, um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have chose my, my past, but I wouldn't change it either. And it's this idea that you recognize that even the painful parts of your life make you who you are today. Even some of the best qualities about ourselves are made from the pain of our past. And it's so powerful to see the redemption of pain in our lives that it seems, like what I said earlier, like everything happened for a reason. And while the Bible doesn't necessarily say that all pain is on purpose, it does lead us to believe that God can turn any pain into a meaningful purpose. For Joseph, look at this this very powerful verse. It says, But Joseph said to them, talking to his brothers, Do not be afraid, for I am I in God's place. As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. 
So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, I think about, I don't know if you guys ever think about this. Like, you ever think about, say, like, an enemy. Like, we don't necessarily label people as enemies. We'll just say, like, I just don't like that person. You know, it's like the Christian way to say your enemy. I just don't like him, is all. And to, to consider that his brothers that brought about so much pain are staying right in front of him, and he could do whatever he wanted to them. He had all power. And he says, not only do you not need to be afraid of my smite, but I'm going to take care of you and your children. To reflect this kind of, this kind of character, look through some of Psalms where David writes his, his prayers and his heart and his emotions. And he, David, when he's praying, he prays things like this. God, they betrayed me without cause. My enemies surround me. And it is complete injustice. I pray, Lord, that you kill them. <laughs> and God, I pray that you kill their children too. Do not accept their offerings of forgiveness, but damn them to hell. Like he's, he's so mad and angry about his enemies. And here we see Joseph in such humility, in such forgiveness, he looks at the pain he went through for a purpose. And the most powerful thing is when he says, what you meant as evil, God meant it for good. And you can interpret this two ways. You can interpret it as everything happens for a reason and God you know, used the wickedness of man to bring about something good. Or you can interpret it, what I lean to, is what he's saying is you meant evil, but, but God can turn evil into good. What you meant for evil, God can turn into good. That's the way I read it. And what I see in this verse is what so many of us recognize in our lives is that God's redemptive nature is able to turn our pain into purpose to where it seems like it was all for a reason. But it's, it's this unique nature about God of how he uses even the plans of the enemy to not just fail, but to go back on the enemy's head to where it ends up being a blessing instead of a curse for you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, and this happens for Joseph in the most powerful way, but I, I think that it's because of the fact that in the midst of all of his pain, he continually brought his pain back to God. And it makes me think about this verse. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. This is, I think, one of the most encouraging verses for us to consider when experiencing pain, a painful season in life. Is that, one, the fact that Jesus is saying this shows that he does not think little about the burdens you, you carry. The fact that he feels that he has this initiative to give you this kind of direction, to come to him, that he recognizes the painful burden upon your shoulders, that he doesn't deflect it, he doesn't say, well, other people have it harder. He, he recognizes your individual and unique burden and says, come to me. He doesn't, he doesn't belittle it at all. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. With that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to consider in this moment of prayer, 
I want you to consider who Jesus is to you in the moment. And if you're here and you recognize that you have not had a moment where you put your trust in Jesus like this to where you've had a clear moment of decision where you brought your burdens to Him and put your trust in Christ, whether it's for the very first time or maybe you realize that you need to have a clear moment of reaffirming your faith today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you want to make your decision to put your trust in Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. Now right there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, all it takes to start this relationship with Him, this journey with Him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to Him yourself. And the minute that you start feeling anxious and wondering, thinking that you don't have the right words to express how you're feeling, remember that God is the God of understanding. And He understands what you're trying to say even when you don't know how to say it. So just take a moment to talk to Him. Because it's not about having this religion of, of works or this to-do list. It's having a, this real, authentic relationship with your Creator. And that's done through Jesus. Now, while they're doing that, for the rest of you here, if you feel like this was a message that you needed to hear today, you feel like the Holy Spirit has been even giving you clues in your life to where right now in this moment you feel like it's this loud and clear billboard affirming all the clues that God has already been speaking to you. And you feel like this is what you needed to hear today. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. see all your hands. Now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you finish what you started in these people's lives.